Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have a very special guest on today, a guy by the name of Patrick Donadio. I hope I said his name right. We'll find out in a minute. Stay with us. Hey, welcome back. Welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I want to welcome my guest, Patrick, to the show. Patrick, good morning and welcome to the show. Hello, Ken. How are you today, my friend? I'm doing well, man. We already have some some great people on here. Weldon Whitehurst, Ernest, Cindy, some great people. And, and Cindy, he, there's no A on the end of Patrick's name. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, Patrick, you know, we talked a little bit about this. I created this show um, about two and a half years ago, and and it was probably for selfish reasons myself. I was at a place where I was a little bit stuck with some things, and um, and I I I just said, you know what? If I start interviewing people and find out how they got unstuck, maybe it'll, you know, via osmosis, it'll help me. And it has. So, um, you know, I like to start off with just kind of talking about where you were born and raised. Yeah. Well, I was born in a small town in Northeast Ohio, a city called Niles. And uh, all four of my grandparents immigrated to this country from Italy. And so I grew up in a pretty um, cultured community. My, my grandparents lived next door. So my mom's parents live right next door. In fact, when my parents got married, they spent the first year of their married life living up on the first, the second floor of their house. And then eventually my grandparents gave them the lot next door and my parents built the house. And so that was my community. I had, uh, I had grandparents next door and I had the other grandparents like five blocks away. Wow. In, in Niles, Ohio, I know where Niles is. Actually. It's outside of Youngstown. Yeah. Nice. Say Youngstown, you know, because people don't know. So you're from Youngstown, and then they say, "Oh, yeah, where are you from?" And then you, go, "Oh, yeah, I'm from Youngstown. Where are you from? I'm from Girard. Oh, I'm from Niles." You know, so you yeah. start the big city, then you work your way down. Yeah, yeah. So, so now is that that's where you spent your entire like childhood was in in that area? Yeah, I spent my entire. My parents had that house for sixty some years. Oh wow! In fact, um, my mom passed away a couple years ago. She was in the house that uh, was her first house ever house. And her grandparents lived next door. So she pretty much moved one house over her whole life. She lived on that street within, you know, like a hundred yard radius. Wow. So you, you, um, in, in Youngstown, uh, well, it's probably not the same as it was in those days. I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't, I, I've not been, I've driven through there obviously, but, um, I've, I've heard that it's kind of, the economy is not booming as much anymore up there. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a really booming place, you know, in the 60s and 70s. You know, both of my grandfathers worked in the steel mills. And so, but once the steel mills shut down, you know, that had a huge impact on that community. And a lot of people left the area. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's doing well, but it really hasn't kind of had the recovery like an Akron Canton area did. Yeah, yeah. 
So, so when you, you, you went, you graduated from high school up there, you, did you go to college? I did go to college and I, I but real quickly, I went to Catholic school. So I was a, a first through eighth grade. I went to Catholic school. So I wore a tie every day, you know, kind of getting ready for the speaking business. Little did I know, you know, that I'd be uh, ready to go out there. So, but that was a good experience for me also. But then in ninth grade, I went to a public school. So I had to make a little shift because Catholic school is a little tuition cost. Uh, so, yeah. so anyway, so a lot of the things I think, you know, as we, I, I know a lot of guests on your show talk about this is that a lot of things that happen in your young years have a huge impact on uh, what you do in the future. Yeah. And I think a lot of my early experiences uh, had a huge impact on what I'm doing today. You know, I was yeah. the MC for the talent show in eighth grade. I was a reader at church, you know, so I was always doing a lot of uh, communicating and speaking in front of groups. Little did I know I can get paid to do that. Of course, that wasn't even an option back in those days. Yeah, right, right. So you you uh, you were kind of prepped a, a a little bit for what you do now. It sounds like. Can you hear me? Looks like you're frozen a little bit there, Ken. Can you hear me? Yeah. I don't know what happened. That was weird. Very bizarre. Um, so you were prepped to to get into the speaking speaking world. You just didn't realize it at the time, right? I look yeah. back now and I see it, but you know, no, you don't really know when you're in it what that's going to mean. Yeah. So you end up going to college. What what did you major in in college? Well, actually, my undergrad degree is in radio and television. So I went to college. I wanted to be a radio DJ, and I did a lot of that. I had a lot of fun on the air. I did both um, AM and FM. I was an FM country DJ for a while. But about my junior year, I realized that if I was going to stay in broadcasting, I wasn't going to make a lot of money and I was going to have to move around a lot because, you know, it's a really tough field. So I decided to switch gears and I got into radio TV management. So my undergrad degree is in radio TV. I have an undergrad in communications. And and you you went to college at went to Ohio University. OK. Yeah. OU. Which has That's, a really good broadcasting school. Yeah, I, I've heard that. It's also known for something else. And what's that? <laughs> Matt Lauer? Yeah, that's right. He went there. Yeah. Is that what you mean? No. I know no. you're talking about Halloween and the party reputation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. there during those days, um, Ken. I'll tell you a quick little story. My freshman year, yeah, I, they had the Halloween wasn't as big a deal, but there was a leftover spring riots. And so I was uptown and all of a sudden, you know, the, uh, the, the, clocks change and all of a sudden the bars, you know, end up staying open an hour later. And before you know it, I'm just naive and I'm uptown and all of a sudden all the streets are packed. The next thing you know, the police are coming out and they're trying to clear the streets. And a little boy from a small town in Northeast Ohio had no experience with this. It was really kind of scary. Wow. Yeah. So, so, and that's in, that's in Southeast, Southeast Ohio. Like that's, yes. that's yeah. Athens, Athens. Ohio. Athens. Yeah. So, um, so you, you, you go through college, you get out of college. Um, sounds like you had some broadcasting experience while you were in college as well. Um, what is, where did, where did life take you from there? Well, actually the thing that was interesting is when I was in college, of course, I didn't have a lot of money. So I took a, a job as a resident assistant, you know, an RA. Uh -huh. And uh, that was a great way to help pay my education. And then, of course, I interviewed for a resident assistant director, and then I got the assistant director. And so ended up, I, I not only got an undergrad degree from OU, I also got a master's degree. So my my senior year, wow. uh, there was an opening 
in a residence hall for a graduate resident director. And so I was encouraged to apply for that. So I started graduate school uh, spring quarter of my senior year. I got my MBA at Ohio University and ended up working at the university for about three more years uh, in the administrative capacity. So my first real job was still working at a university, which is kind of a you know fun experience. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So so you stayed in Athens. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And it was a great it was a great training ground because you know the, the resident assistant program was. Uh, you know, it was really a, a program where you learn how to be a leader. So they put us through some leadership training courses and courses. I kept progressing. I became assistant resident director then I became a graduate resident director. Then I became an area director. I had two residence halls with, you know, about 10 staff that I supervised. And then I got promoted to the assistant green coordinator. So now I had 19 residence halls with 22 professional staff and over 190 student staff. And so it was really good. I didn't know at the time, but it was a great training ground to learn a lot about leadership and communication skills, which, you know, it's what I spend a lot of time doing today. So yeah. I think it's always important as you, and I, I love that you do this on your show, Ken, is that you really try to dig into a little bit about people's history yeah. because, you know, your history has a huge impact on what you decide to do. Now, some people use their previous experiences and make a living at it. And some people you know, have good experiences and it helps them in their regular full-time job. Right, right. And I think that, you know, and I'm sure you've found this along the way that we, we, um, we have a tendency in life of, as we get older, we're like, I, I don't know if you've experienced this. I have where it's like, well, that isn't necessarily the direction I want to go anymore. I'm going to pivot and go this way. Um, I don't know if you've had that happen or not, but oh, yeah. I, yeah. And, and I think that, that it's important that people understand that that's just life, man. That's, yes. that's, that's the way it, it works. So, um, so when, when, so you did this and you ended up, cause I know you live in Columbus now. Yes. Um, when did you leave Athens and head to Columbus and yeah. what was the, was there a catalyst that kind of, that made that all come, come together? Yes, actually, a lot of my my student staff had graduated. They were moving out, and one of my friends was in Columbus. I was still at Athens, Ohio. I actually yeah. got involved in the. We had a little bit of crime prevention issues, and so I was in the crime prevention committee on campus at Ohio University. And I got involved with the Ohio Crime Prevention Association, and um, the assistant director of security. Now, of course, they call campus police, but it was you know security at the time encouraged me to come to Columbus and go to one of these conferences on crime prevention. And eventually he had said, hey, you know, they have a position opening where they're looking for a, a program director at the Crime Prevention Association. It's a one-year grant, but I think you'd be really good at that. You've been doing a lot of great work here. I give you a wonderful recommendation. So I interviewed for this uh, program director position at the Crime Prevention Association, got the job. It was a one-year job, no guarantee if I get anything after that. But, you know, I thought it was a great opportunity. And ironically, my job was to take this grant to give you, you know, a certain amount of money. And I had to create a program and we had to create training seminars and product materials for, for crime prevention officers around the state of Ohio. So I left Athens. I moved to Columbus. Mm -hmm. I got an apartment and took that job. And that's pretty much how I made the transition from you know, Ohio university to Columbus, Ohio. So is this a state level job or is it? It's a, a nonprofit association. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and their main, members were crime prevention officers. And this is back in the 80s. And there was a lot of crime prevention funding. And the funny thing, Ken, you know, that the, the, my job was not really about crime prevention. Get this, it was about litter prevention. 
So they had gotten a grant from the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. You want to talk about a tough sell? Try selling a litter prevention to crime prevention officers. Yeah. Wow. And what now? The, uh, where are crime prevention officers? Where? Where? Like universities only, or yeah, is this? No, like no, no. All over. At the time, there was a lot of funding from the National Crime Prevention Institute and federal government for communities to have a crime prevention officer. They would have neighborhood watch programs. Remember those programs? Yep. yep, yep. There was a lot of funding, and so these officers were specifically like community relation officers, but they focused a lot on communicating with the community and talking about crime prevention and being proactive. So okay. this association where it's for, and they're probably, you know, in some cities, maybe only one officer, maybe two officers that were crime prevention officers. Got and it. that, you know, that role would change. But anyways, that's who the audience was. And that's what I did. I traveled around the state of Ohio and I did these workshops that I had to develop myself because there was, you know, they just gave the money and you had to come up with the curriculum. So again, wow. wonderful training ground to learn about workshops and seminars and delivery and marketing and, did they did did they care what you produced? <laughs> well, I had to produce something that was related to convincing officers the importance of littering and crime. So there was a lot of vandalism. There was a lot of littering, and you know they wanted to remind officers that this is a crime. It's not just a nuisance, yeah. and so hopefully that we would get them to pay attention to it. Because there has also been some studies at the time that showed you know that communities that were not well kept, whether they had vandalism or or litter had an impact on how people felt about the community and how they performed. And so they felt that if you can make these communities safer and cleaner, it would make people feel better and maybe the crime rates would be reduced. Got it. Got yeah. it. Okay. So, so you did, did it last longer than a year? It did. I actually, we got a renewal grant and then ironically, my, my, my boss who I learned a lot from, and I've been very fortunate Ken, to have some great mentors at Ohio university. I had some really great mentors who, you know, help me learn about how to be a better leader. Anyways, my, 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 the executive director for the association left and took a job and I became the interim director. And so wow. it was like a really nice promotion, but I learned something very important about myself. I really, really, really loved being in front of groups and doing the speaking and the training. And once I became the director, I had to worry about budgets and managing the board and finances and it just wasn't something I liked. And so it was, yeah. it was a blessing and a curse. I mean, it was a curse because now I didn't like my job, but yeah. it was a blessing because I really learned even more about how to run a business, which little did I know in about a year and a half later, I'd be quitting that job because I was so miserable and I would just jump out and start my speaking training business. So that's a, that's a great segue, man. So, so you, you did this, you found that you hated it. Yes. Um, and, and you said hated, so <laughs> no, I, did. I, I literally, I didn't want to get up and go to work. I was oh, like, oh, wow. I, go to work again. I mean, that's a terrible feeling, but it's, you know, yeah. you got to trust your gut. Yeah. And luckily I was single. So I didn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of expenses. Mm -hmm. And the thing that was interesting, Ken, is at the time I was hiring speakers, you know, to speak, we did an annual conference. Yeah. And um, that, in fact, one year we had Frank Abagnale. I don't know if you've seen the movie, catch me if you can. Yeah. Uh, and so he, he's the gentleman who was, you know, caught early, you know, forging checks and everything. Well, then he yeah. became a speaker. And so he came and spoke at our conference and I was saying to myself, wow, he's amazing. But then we had some other speakers that I hired and I thought, these guys aren't really, they're not, they're okay, but gee, they're making good money and they're not really that much better than I was. Yeah. So I got this false sense of, well, I could do that, you know? Yeah. Right. And then I bumped into a, a speaker in Columbus, um, who, Afterwards, I said, hey, you're really good. He goes, oh, well, yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm a member of the, uh, at the time, it was called the Ohio Speakers Forum. 
which yeah. is now NS, you know, National Speakers Association. He said, yeah, I do this for a living. I go, really? He goes, yeah. Hey, take me to breakfast. I'll tell you all about it. And uh, literally when I had breakfast with Phil Sorrentino, I was a gentleman. Uh, yeah. He had, he had said to me, like, you should come to our speaker school. We do a one-day speaker school. And uh, I had been doing speaking as a part of my job. I spoke at some national conferences. You know, I think I got to get paid, but it was part of my job. So yeah. I went to the speaker school, one-day speaker school, and I just thought, wow, this is what I want to do. And so I was naive and I quit my job. <laughs> I love it. I actually love that, man. I, I, I you know, dude, I, I say it all the time. Like we, we, this is not a practice round. This is real life. Like you better do what you want to do. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. figure it out as quick as you can. So I love that. So you had to have been what in your mid twenties? Yeah, I was, I was 28 years old. 28. That's what yeah, I was still single. And so I like Mac and cheese. It was good, you know, <laughs> yeah. right. Uh, but for about the first year I was struggling. Cause I had no idea that, you know, you have to be, you, you just don't show up. You got to sell, you got to market, you got to build, you know, relationships. And I had never been in the sales job. So I really struggled, but luckily I had my family, my NSA Ohio family. And I started wow. going to meetings and people were very, very helpful. And they'd give me a lot of good advice. And, you know, people that had been doing what I wanted to do for five or 10 years. And they were saying, hey, come on, hang in there. You know, it's really tough. And, you know, I heard speakers talk about you know, telemarketing and sales. And so I'm a big, big believer, Ken, in, in finding your family, not just your you know family of origin, because, you know, being Italian, family is important to me, yeah. but your business family. And so right. I got very active in the Ohio chapter of National Speakers Association. I got very active in the National Association. And I highly recommend if you have anything you're feel, you know, called to do or you want to get involved in, find the association and get involved. And, and you're yeah. going to find a lot of great people that can help you think it through. And maybe don't do what I did. I'm not, I don't think you should jump out and quit your job. You know, uh, um, I learned a long time ago that and and is better than either or. So one of the things I help my coaching clients is shift the belief from either or to and and. So don't either I have a job or I quit my job. It's I have a job and I can start a part time job. And then once it's going well, I can make a transition into, you know, that yeah. position. Now, see, I, I'm the opposite of that. I'm I'm the guy that like I can't. I can't focus on two things that I, I, I just like, I have to go all in. That's just me. And, and I, not, it's not for everybody. I agree with you. Some people need to keep their job until they figure out if this is actually going to work for them. So I yes. do agree with that. Um, so, so you, you got into speaking the, the, the Ohio chapter of the national speakers association um, sounds like really helped you quite a bit. Immensely. With, with Yeah. Um, and, and you, so you started what booking speaking gig? How do you, how do you do that? Cause I, I mean, I do speaking, but I'm, people just call me and ask me if I'll come and speak to their group. I've never yeah. like called on somebody going, Hey, I'm a speaker. Is that, how, is that how you do it? Or, well, you know, Ken, we're, we're lucky today with, you know, the World Wide web and social media. And, you know, I call this pull marketing versus pull push marketing. You know, in the old days, and I mean, they say old days, but, you know, we didn't have the Internet. We didn't even right. have email when I started. I didn't even have a computer. So it right. was all about, you know, index cards and making phone calls and showing up at events and talking to people and networking at the chamber meetings. You know, it was it was it was hard work and it is still hard work. Sure. But, but the difference is we have this vehicle now that we can get our name out there um, quickly. And, and, and so we can create what I call a brand where people come to you. 
I love this question that Ron asked because I was actually going to ask you, did you ever do Toastmasters? Yes, Ron, that's a great question. I joined Toastmasters in 1990. Okay. So I've been out there for a few years and I'm still a member. I don't go to as many clubs right now, but a really great organization. In fact, Ken, it was one of the first places that I got some good feedback because, you know, as a speaker, you know, you, you get evaluations, but you don't always get good feedback. And in Toastmasters, you know, like you do your speech and then afterwards you get feedback. So you yeah. have an evaluator and you even have a person that counts how many times you say um and ah. <laughs> really? So it's a great organization. If you want to learn how to be a better leader, a better communicator, I highly recommend, you know, Toastmasters. If you want to learn how to get paid to speak, then I highly recommend the National Speakers Association. So there's a two distinctions there. Yeah. Yeah. So was Phil, was Phil funny at breakfast? I've had conversations with Phil. He's hilarious. Yeah. He, he's funny. You know how Phil is. He's a funny, I mean, funny guy. Yeah. He's funny. But, you know, really, I have a, to give Phil a lot of credit because, you know, he pretty much was very helpful to me. And of course, then once I joined NSA, you know, a lot of the members are very helpful at the chapter. And then I went, I went to my first conference and I was just blown away, Ken, because, you know, I mean, I met, I met, Art Linkletter. I have a picture with Art Linkletter. I met Tony Robbins back in the eight, you know, in the early nineties, Stephen wow. Covey. I mean, you named the Zig Ziglar. I mean, you talk about, I mean, here, I, I love these books. In fact, in high school, I wrote a paper on success for one of my classes. Little did I know that I would be getting into this field. Wow. And here I am. I'm, I'm like a, you know, kid of the candy store. I'm at the conference and I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's Zig Ziglar. And, you know, it was just a one, and they were very nice. I know they're busy people, but they were all, kind and you know they couldn't give you hours but they would say hello can i take a picture and, you know ken you know in the old days we didn't have a you know, we didn't have a phone with a camera i had to take right. it automatic you know with the like, i gotta get my flash cube bulb on there hold on you know. <laughs> right you are really dating yourself i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> yeah you youngster yeah right I'm just kidding. I absolutely, you know, my 10 year old daughter is absolutely in love with her little Polaroid camera. <laughs> I'm like, I, I get her an iPhone, whatever, like the newest one. And we're in Florida and she's like, oh, I got to get my Polaroid for this boat trip. And I'm like, you have your phone. What do you <laughs> like? You know, they're not so, so. So I, that's interesting about Toastmasters. Uh, I've I've never been to Toastmasters, although I've considered it. I've never never been there. So, and and I think that if somebody came up to me and said, um, "You said um like thirty two times," I'd be like, "You have an issue with counting people's ums. Leave me alone." <laughs> Well, you know, it's part of their job. And, you know, Ken, I do a lot of speech coaching, you know, not for speakers, but for executives. Yeah. And you'd be surprised. And I bet you probably noticed it when people have a lot of verbal pauses. I call the ums and the ahs and, you know, and OK, it's very distracting. And sometimes it almost takes away from their credibility. I mean, I don't want people to be perfect, but you don't want people to be distracting. Right. I agree. Totally agree. Now I'm going to be very, very conscious of my ums and uhs during okay. this interview. I hope your viewers aren't counting. <laughs> I don't care if they are. So, so you, you, uh, you, you, you get into speaking. How long was it before you booked your first paid speaking engagement? Yeah. Well, luckily, uh, Ken, I was very fortunate that because I had a network in, in crime prevention and I'd done some speeches where I was not getting paid. 
Um, and this is a big, I think, a great advice for anybody who wants to start their business. You know, you want to go to where you have your best connections and start there if possible. So for me, I went right to the, you know, crime prevention law enforcement arena yep. and uh, actually found that I was able to get some engagements because I had I already had a brand right in that market. And right. it was a kind of a known commodity. So I was able to book my first speech fairly quickly. Now, the, the challenge was, you know, you need more than one speech a year to make a living. So, <laughs> so I was able to make a few, you know, get a few engagements. I, I did some work for like the sheriff's associations and I spoke at the National Crime Prevention Conference. And I was in Albany, New York, I think in 87 at their conference. So I was able to break into that market fairly quickly, but there weren't enough, you know, engagements to make it profitable. So that's when, again, it took me a little bit of time to learn about sales and marketing and the importance of um, niche marketing and how to build your practice. And did you, did you stay with the law enforcement crime prevention arena? Is that like, is that where you kind of stuck with that or? No, I mean, I really, uh, as, as you probably know, when people start speaking, they just like, oh, you you have a, you need someone to do time management. I could do that. You know, stress. I could do that. So literally I was creating because luckily I had that job where I could create, you know, workshops. So I was creating workshops just for the topic because I didn't know what I was really good at. And at the time I needed the money. So I did stress management, time management, communication skills. I had already taught public speaking um, at the police academy for crime prevention officers. So that course I had already under my belt. Yeah. But initially I just was like speaker for hire. You've got a topic. I think I can do it. And then over time, you know, I figured out which subjects were really critical and which ones people liked. And eventually I narrowed it down. And uh, so now mostly what I do is communication skills and leadership. Those are my two main areas. Brian Wagner, what a good dude. Hey, he Brian. Is. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Brian. He's going to get a, a snapshot of both of us doing the wing. Okay, yeah. Time. There you go. Hey, now you can go back and watch. Brian. He can go watch the replay and grab that. So, so, um, um, I just said, um, dang it. Sorry. I don't mean to distract you with my ums, but I, I think that it's, it's, it, I, you know, like when you were doing the stress prevention coming up with the, the talk for, did, did you get stressed? Yeah, of course I did. I mean, <laughs> you're like, I can't believe the irony. I'm stressed yeah. out after coming up with a, yeah. Yeah, you know, Ken, it's really the first couple of years I would get off the stage and I had like no recollection of what I just did. I was almost like having an out of body experience, you know, because I was I was fairly good. You know, I had I had some experience, right? I've done radio and TV. And, yeah. But the whole idea of having the confidence level to get up there and be present was really challenging. So, yeah, it was kind of ironic. I'm I'm uh, I'm living stress and then I'm teaching others how to manage it. So. Did you experience what we all know is most of us experience imposter syndrome? Yes. Yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit about that because I, I do coaching as well and I I I I coach on that very topic. Like when you experience that, how did you get past that? How did you yeah. get through that? Well, it's the kind of thing, I, again, it's a great, great subject, Ken, because a lot of people will, will find themselves getting in that point of an imposter syndrome, and particularly if you start your own business, right? Uh, and, and the first place it showed up was when I would quote my fees, because, you know, growing up in this little 
you know, Italian neighborhood. I used to cut the lawn for my parents and my grandparents. And one day my grandfather gave me some money and I came home and said, dad, grandpa gave me money to cut the grass. And my father smacked my hand. He said, go bring that back. You don't take money when you do things for people you care about. What's wrong with you? Oh, so early on, I had this issue with feeling like I could charge what I thought I was worth because I just had this little thing in my brain. Like if there's something you're good at and something you like to do, you know, you shouldn't be getting paid for that. So that was the first place the imposter syndrome showed up, which is, you know, talking about how to get paid for what you do. Um, but then it also shows up in terms of, you know, when you're on stage, you know, very early on, I remember I was doing a workshop and it was a full day workshop. This is about maybe four years into it. And a woman in the back was falling asleep. And oh. all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm terrible. I see her, she's falling asleep. I'm, you know, I'm thinking, oh my God, what's her, you know. And so at the break, she comes up to me and she says, Uh, Mr. Donatio, I'm so sorry. My son was up all night. He was sick and you're doing a really nice job, but I'm kind of tired and I know I've been dozing off, but don't take it personally. I really like what you're doing. So again, you know, when you're insecure, sometimes you, I call it's called projection. You know about projection, Ken. You project your feelings onto other people. So uh, again, the imposter syndrome is really a lot about projection and it's about getting comfortable and confident in, in knowing who you are and what value you bring. Are, are there steps that you take to overcome that, though? Because I think that it would be, you know, if I said, hey, Patrick, I want you to come and speak at my event about technology, which is what I've done for 26 years, right? You may go, yeah, I can do that, <laughs> right? Yeah, well, and, I wouldn't do that anymore, yeah. Right, but I mean, you, you, you know, how do you overcome that? Because I do know, I, I can remember my very first, I, I got into network marketing when I was like 20 years old and, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to be like that guy they showed me that makes a million dollars a day or, you know, and I, I, and, and I can remember feeling really insecure about like, I, I don't know what the heck I'm doing here. How do you, are there steps that you take to, to get past that for anybody listening? Because we all experience it. Yes. Well, um, about 1995, I started to get into the coaching field. And, you know, I was very early in the coaching, coaching, professional coaching, not you know, athletic coaching yeah. was a fairly new concept. And so but one of the things I learned early on as I was getting some training for coaching was uh, the whole concept of how your beliefs drive your behaviors and your behaviors drive the results you get. And the imposter syndrome has a lot to do with your belief about yourself and about others. So if you really want to work through that first, okay, the first step to change is awareness, right, Ken? So we, we have yep. to be aware of something. If you start to say, hey, I'm aware that I'm feeling uncomfortable. I don't feel like I'm really qualified to do this or I'm able to do this. That's a good sign because that's an awareness. But then the second step is to start to think about what is it that's going on inside internally that I might be saying to myself or thinking about myself that may be a faulty story. I mean, we believe the story, but the story is not really true. And that's why it's called the imposter syndrome because you have this faulty story that you believed that it makes you feel like an imposter. Right, right. So so um, you want to think about what are some of the beliefs. And, uh, you know, when I do coaching, Ken, uh, one of the things that I spend a little bit of time on in my first couple sessions is I talk about the change process model. And there's, I use look at four steps. And so uh, I'm, if you don't mind, I can share real quickly with the group. Please. If, you're, if you're struggling with, you know, the imposter syndrome where you're feeling uncomfortable or you're nervous about speaking, you know, whatever those issues are, here's a process that I think is helpful. And there are four components is awareness, belief, 
behavior and results. So I'm going to work backwards. And so let's just say, let's say, Ken, I was going to be working with you and you wanted to be more effective at getting rid of ums and ahs. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. So, so we would start at the end and say, okay, Ken, that's great. That's a good goal. Uh, what are some things that you see yourself doing, you know, six years, six months or a year from today? And you might say, I'd feel, I'd love to be more smoother, more comfortable. I like to tell better stories. So once you get a clear idea of what the results are, I like to work backwards. So I'd say, good. So what are some of the behaviors you have to exhibit, right? So if somebody is saying, gee, I feel like an imposter, you know, okay, well, then you say, I would like to feel more comfortable in the future. Then you start to identify what are some things I could do to get more comfortable. And sometimes, you know, when you go through this process, you, you, by going backwards, you start to create the awareness. You say, well, you know, I guess I need to be more um, more self-confident or I need to be more aware of uh, my, my specialty or maybe I need to do a little bit more reading or so I'm feeling more comfortable about the expertise. So you got awareness, you got behavior, you got results. And sometimes that's all it takes. Once you're aware of something, you make a few changes, you can make it work. But what I found through coaching is a reason why a lot of people don't make things work is because there's a belief that gets in the way. And right. so the belief shift is, is the shift that's really important. And so I'll give you a quick example. First time I saw myself on camera back in the 19, late 1980s, I had a, a client recording my presentation. I had a big mustache, right? This is 1987, yeah. I think. And uh, I was watching myself on video and like, I was doing this every, you know, like every two minutes, what's this look like, Ken? <laughs> like I'm picking my nose. You know? Yeah, right, right. And so I, when I saw the video, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, how, how long have I been doing that? That looks stupid, so watch. You don't want to look stupid. I believe I look stupid. Stop doing this. You don't look stupid. That's how simple the process is. But so the beliefs though, sometimes is something that people aren't aware of. So when you find yourself struggling with an issue and you feel like I've tried a couple things and it's not working, then you want to go a little bit deeper and ask yourself, what are some of the beliefs that I have about myself, about others, about the situation that maybe are faulty or maybe I want to, you know, adjust. And so then you go into the belief uh, box and make some changes. So that's a kind of quick high level look at the four components. Yeah, I love that. I, I totally believe that our, our, our belief systems unconsciously are controlling right. everything we're doing. And, 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 and so your the first step is awareness. Yes. Waking up, like admitting it, yeah. <laughs> like, Hey, I, I, I look like I'm picking my nose all the time. And <laughs> right. Don't Need do that. Think, yeah. 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 Don't do that. Or so let, saying, me get, uh, let me just finish that loop real quick. So what if that day when I saw myself, Ken, and I'm doing this, I said to myself, wow, that looks really cool. So if I believe that was a good thing, I'd be doing it all the time. Now I'd have a big, long handlebar mustache, right? <laughs> so, so beliefs can work for you or for, or against you. So you want to make sure you spend some time thinking about what are the faulty beliefs and what are the, you know, healthy beliefs and how do you increase the healthy beliefs and decrease the faulty beliefs? Uh, and, and I know, Ken, I don't know if you were around in the 80s, but the phrase that really I loved was, you know, don't work harder, work smarter. Yep. That's a belief shift. It and is. once I bought into that belief that it's, it's better to work smarter, not harder, not, and working harder is good too. I'm not saying that's not a good belief. But when right. I quit my job at the Crime Prevention Association, I had three, four staff people. I started my speaking business. I have no staff people. And all right. of a sudden now I'm thinking, man, I got to really work hard. And so the first year I worked like 60 hours a week. I wasn't making that much money. I said, what am I going to do? You got to work harder than audio. Next year, work 70 hours a week. And it wasn't working. I had the right. faulty belief. And so that's when I learned about the idea of systems and processes and, you know, then working smarter. So I just want to give you a couple of examples. So if you're struggling with something, 
and you're not getting the results you want, you know, take a step back and say, what may be the belief I'm carrying around that might not be serving me? Hmm. And, and how do you rid yourself of that? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, the best way to rid yourself of any faulty belief is to take some small steps and test it out. Yeah. Right. And I have a belief that uh, we don't make mistakes. We only have learning opportunities, you know, and uh, when you make a mistake, that's a negative label. You believe it's bad and you beat yourself up. But if you make, if you have a learning opportunity, Ken, you say to yourself, well, that's something that didn't work. And uh, let me see what I can do to maybe make it work. And so you, you're going to learn by, by taking small steps, trying things, you know, that are a little uncomfortable. You know, I love this quote by Emerson, do the thing you fear and the death of fear is certain. I love that. Right. But yeah. now that doesn't mean if I can't swim, I'm going to jump in the lake. I mean, that don't do that. Okay. But if I can't swim, maybe I'm going to, you know, get in the bathtub. Maybe I'm going to put my head underneath the water, pick it back up, you know, but right. whatever, whatever the fear is, what can you do to take some small steps to face the fear? And when you face the fear, then all of a sudden it starts to shift your mindset. And, you know, I could go through, like I do a workshop called the Kaizen leader. And uh, I talk about 14 traits successful leaders possess. And uh, one of the traits is called, are you belief driven? And we talk about, you know, old beliefs and new beliefs. And we, and we do an exercise in class to have people identify what are some of the beliefs you learned growing up that maybe worked for you when you were 10, 12, 14, 15, but they don't work today, right? Because we learn these beliefs at a very early age. And then a lot of us, you know, take those beliefs and we put them everywhere, right? And yeah. uh, I don't know about you, Ken, but I don't think you're working on a computer with DOS, are you? No. Yeah. Well, well, why not? Well, you know, DOS is still working in the background, but, yeah. you know, we always update. I just got last night an update notice on my computer. Time to update your software, right? So what I say to people is, hey, it's time to update your beliefs. Yep. Right? Take a look at what you think worked for you, and if it's not working for you now, don't keep doing it. Try something different. Amen. I, I agree. And, and so what about the fears of, like, skydiving yes i mean there, you can't like dip your toe in that water or like yeah right? like, yeah you gotta yeah. jump no, out think, of a dang airplane like yeah i have you skydived i haven't skydived i've not done it no i you know look i watch videos on youtube and if they get too close like if you know where they'll peer over the edge of uh, i i get uh, i get like you know so like no i have not gone skydiving Although in the back of my mind, I'm like, gosh, I, that just looks like something I should try sometime. Yeah. Well, I don't know about skydiving. I'm not sure I'm going to try that. But I think a lot of folks have the same feeling about speaking in front of groups. Right. right. I mean, it's a very scary thing. Number one fear. Right. So how do you get over that? Well, I think you, you just take baby steps. You know, yeah. there's there's a desensitization uh, theory that people use. In fact, that they've used this with people who are afraid of flying. They have a whole program where they put people on a plane, you know, on the ground, and then they come back and then they put them on the plane and the plane maybe just goes a little bit down the tarmac. And so it's a slow progression to get you comfortable with something that you're uncomfortable with. Right. And that's the same thing with speaking, right? The more you do it, the easier it gets. So, um, but again, I'm not doing skydiving. <laughs> let's do Come on, let's go together. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I might do it if someone's attached to me, right? I would do that where I'm, I'm piggybacking with some professional. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. I think you have to. I believe that that's the first no. step. It's called yeah. called tandem, right? But, but, but I meant inside with a little tunnel with somebody. Not, not jumping out of a plane. I'll do a wind tunnel. That's a good start, right? Do the wind tunnel first, Ken. Right, right. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I'm thinking airplane. You're thinking wind tunnel. Yeah. yeah. Baby steps. Baby steps. In fact, maybe I'll go out. It's kind of windy today. I might go outside. It's kind of windy and see how I feel. (laughs) Yeah, right. Right. So, so, so you got in, I I really like this because you got into this, this, um, the speaking and doing workshops and doing all of this along the way. I know you said for the first year or so that it was it was a, a bit of a struggle. Um, y- you didn't go from the and I did just say um um is okay once in a while. By the way, yeah, I'm not counting. Uh, um, <clears throat> so you you struggled for a little bit, but did it did it go from there to just you skyrocketed to massive success, or were there a lot of hills and valleys that you yeah. went through? There, there were some hills and valleys, Ken. And, uh, you know, the first, again, like the first year, I didn't make a lot of money. Now, I will say I was very smart because when I went to, when I was working at Ohio University, you know, I had a room and board part of my job. So I was able to save some money. So when I was 28, I had some money in the bank. And I knew one of my biggest fears was that I didn't want to go out and start the business and run out of money and have to come back. So I literally had probably about two years of income that I could live off of. So I knew that was going to take time. Uh, and that was because I met some other people that said, hey, it's going to take some time. You just have to be prepared, you know. So uh, the first couple of years were, were a little challenging. And what happened was, as I started to get engaged um, with, with the Speakers Association, I knew that I could do this. But there was a point in my career, Ken, where I actually had to go uh, and take a part-time job. Yeah. And I took a part-time job as a telemarketer selling um, – refinance mortgages on the phone from 4 to 7 p.m. every night. Jeez. And when I went to interview, the guy said to me, you have an MBA and you want to take a telemarketing job? And I said, well, uh, yes, sir. I have my own business and I'm really not doing well financially. I need some extra cash. And also I have a fear of rejection. And I think if I go on this call with these folks, I'm going to hear no a lot. And maybe if I hear no a lot, that'll help me. And he goes, well, you're going to hear no a lot. So yeah, you got the job. And so literally for about six months, I would be calling up people at dinner time on the phone. Again, back then, you know, people picked up their phone, right? right. Yeah. And I would get that no, no, no. And then every so often I get maybe, and then I got maybe one yes. But it was a valuable opportunity. Not only did I get paid, because I didn't get paid on commission. I got paid hourly, which was a good thing because I was starved on commission. But I learned the fact that in order to get a yes, sometimes you have to hear no 15, 20 times. It was a good turning point for me. Did, did you, and this is all, I'm going to, I'm going to preface this with, this is almost a rhetorical question. I think I know the answer. Did you study anything on sales? They did put us through a little uh, sales training beforehand. Uh, and, yeah. and I knew that I was, I was actually learning about sales and um, there was another speaker his name was Jeff Slutsky, and he was a street smart marketing guy. And he did a course for us in our chapter on telesales and telemarketing. So I was learning all these things, but I still wasn't that good at it because I was still afraid. I was afraid of making those calls. I was afraid of hearing no. 
Um, yeah. The other thing that also was a gift for me, Ken, was you know, I was active in, in the church and I met a gentleman who um, was was a consultant and, and we hit it off and we were both Italian. He was a nice guy. And he said, you know, I could use some help. Would you mind? Maybe I can get you a little bit of work. So in addition to the telemarketing job, this guy got me some part time work with him. And so I had these, you know, these these jobs that were helping me during the early days to make some money while I was still trying to learn how you know, to make sales and become a speaker and a trainer. So the first four to five years were a little bit more challenging. But then um, after that, I started to really kick in. I started to understand what it takes to sell. I started to learn a lot about um, PR. And I did a lot of PR. I did some radio TV shows. You know, I started to use my radio TV experience. I started writing articles. And I, was, I learned a very simple technique that worked great for me is that I would write an article for an association magazine. And then I would follow up after a article was published. And I'd say, hey, I... I wanted to let you know I had an article in your magazine recently. Who would I talk to about maybe speaking at your conference? And they'd say, oh, well, that's Mary. And I'd say, hey, Mary, did you see my article in your magazine? They'd say, oh, I didn't. I'd say, yeah, I wrote this article. And I think it'd be a good topic for a breakout session. So I started to learn not just you know about the whole idea of sales. But I learned a lot about PR and marketing. And that's how it really kicked it into high gear. Wow, that's that's pretty incredible. So you you've written at least one book, right? Yes. One or more? No, uh, one book. I, that one book that I have out called Communicating with Impact. It took me yep. about about ten years to get it done. Um, wow. Yeah. Now, in two thousand eight, when the big recession hit, yep. I took a huge hit. My I lost about seventy percent of my income in two thousand nine. Mm. So it was a very slow year. So I started my book, and then of course things picked up again. And then I was my book kind of got put on the back shelf, but. Yeah. But eventually it came out. And so, but I've written a lot of articles. And if anybody on our, our viewers today are thinking about maybe starting a business or, you know, becoming a speaker or consultant, you know, uh, branding is so critical. And again, it's easier today, Ken, you know, we can put something up on LinkedIn, you can get stuff everywhere. Uh, but think about how do you build your brand? How do you get out there and add value? Right. And you know, the Zig Ziglar quote, if you just With help one. enough people get what they want, you'll, you'll get what you want. It's laying right next to me in this little book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, all those, Great. all those wonderful, you know, speakers that I heard at the association, all those little things were sinking in. Um, yeah. And so then things started to take off, and then I started doing a lot of speaking. Actually, I've spoken, I was speaking all over the country. You know, I started to really get this machine working, and I hired a part-time marketing person. Mm -hmm. uh, as I started to make more money and this woman was making calls for me and she would get together once a week. She'd say, you know, these people are interested. These people aren't interested. And so that helped me for a little while, but then I realized that, you know, I just couldn't afford to keep her, but it was, it was a good training ground. Right. Uh, but right. I, again, I was speaking all over the country. I spoke um, one time I actually, I didn't know this, but I was the closing speaker for the Louisiana bankers association. And when I got there at the end, you know, I didn't get there at the beginning of the conference. I get yeah. there at the end and all of a sudden I see a big billboard that said their opening speaker was Lou Holtz. And I'm like, wow. I'm the closing speaker. Why didn't someone tell me? I was like, I was a nervous wreck, you know, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure. But, 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 but what I did, I tell you real quickly, because I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a, a tenacious kind of guy. Mm -hmm. I worked that audience so hard before my event. I walked around to every table. I said, hello, it's good to be here. I heard you had Lou, Lou Holtz as your opening speaker. He's amazing. You know, and I shook hands with every person in that room. And by the time I got up there, you know, I made them like me because uh, I knew that I had no brand, but I knew that I could really make a difference. And 
I couldn't have done that in year one or two, right? I didn't have the belief. I'd have been in the imposter syndrome. But by that point in my career, I knew that I could do it. I just knew that I had to, you know, really shift a little bit more of their perspective. So, but yeah, I ended up doing a lot of national speaking and conferences and that, that's actually pretty pretty ingenious of you to to walk around and introduce yourself to to everyone. I I, I personally wouldn't wouldn't have thought of that. <laughs> Quite well, um, I just knew that I wanted to get a good evaluation. I figured if I can make people like me, they may not notice that I'm not Lou Holtz. <laughs> How did it go? It went well. I had. I had evaluation. People said, this guy was amazing. He actually, and people said this, they said, I couldn't believe he came up and said hello to me. I don't have speakers normally come up and say hello to me. I watched every table like it was our wedding. You know, I was like, hey, good. Thank you for coming to the wedding. You know, it's good to have you here. And yeah. so all that paid off for me. Um, I know a lot of speakers. I'm, I'm sure you do. Uh, of course you do. Um, and, and you know what, what I find interesting and, and, you know, I've had this conversation with Jeffrey Gittimer, friends of mine, you know, that, that there are people who, when they're on stage, they give a great speech and then off stage, they thumb their nose at, at everybody and act like they're, you know, too good or that, and you don't come off to me as somebody like that. You, you seem genuine, like, yeah. You genuinely well, well, thank you, Ken. And you know, that the, the real reason I'm doing this is mostly because I really feel this isn't a profession. This is a calling. Yeah. I feel this is something that I've always wanted to do. It's something that I've done growing up. I was always active in my church and I was a student council president, you know, so I was always in front of groups and being, being in a leadership capacity. And it's just something that I feel called to do. So when I'm up there, I am so grateful. You know, yeah. every, every audience to me is a gift. Uh, and and once that I got real comfortable now, you know, I'm so present that it's just for me, it's so much fun. And I I've really been struggling the last few months. I've been doing all my programs virtually, yeah. but it's just not the same. I just love the live interaction with the audience. Yeah, it's definitely different. It's, yeah. it's different. And, and and you know that again, you, you keep providing me with these perfect segues. So so, you know, I had I I only had two speaking engagements booked. Um, and it wasn't, again, I don't try to book speaking engagements. So I had a couple booked that, you know, COVID could put the, the kibosh on that. And, and I, I, I think, you know, being in the industry that you're in, I'm, I'm curious as to how, how this whole thing has shifted for you. What, what have you seen experienced so far during the, the shutdown and everything else? Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, I've had a home office now for 30 years, so that's not a big change for me. Right. And I had an office outside the home for a little while and it was like, I'm spending all this money. No one's coming to the office. So that right. was an easy transition coaching, you know, coaching. I was able to do that pretty easily to, you know, to virtual, um, but I had all these speaking engagements on the books and I'll say this, I'm really blessed that, you know, I only had two that one was postponed and one was canceled and every other engagement I had, people decided they wanted to go virtual. So I converted all my, and a lot of my programs were workshops. I had full day workshops that we had to convert to half day. I had a program I did with Notre Dame was a two day workshop. We converted it to three half days. And so, but, but it was a lot of work. I mean, it's a big, big shift to take something you do live and put it on, on a virtual program. There's a lot of things you have to do differently. Right. But, uh, it was, it, people have been very pleased. And 
again, this is my normal thing. I tend to be in the pioneer mode. Both two of my major clients, I was the first speaker that they did virtual with. So we worked really hard with rehearsals and, and all kinds of things to make sure they went well. Yeah. Uh, so I've been fortunate that it's been going well. I mean, and I'll probably keep doing virtual. And I think it's a good thing. I think virtual programs are helpful. But there's something about this live experience, you know, that you get when you're with a group of people that you just can't get when you're in your home. You know, I do breakout sessions and you know, we put people in. You know, we, I'm a very engaging speaker. You can probably tell. Yeah. There's something that's missing about that human interaction that has a big, big impact. So I'm looking forward to the day we can all get back together to do live, but I'll continue to do virtual. Yeah, I think, you know, and we're definitely going to have, there's going to be a hybrid version of, of, of all of this. I'm, I don't think anybody can say, well, this is exactly what that's going to look like. Cause we just don't know yet. Right. Yeah. So, so let, let me ask you this. And I ask everybody, I can't even believe we've, we've been on here 52 minutes already. That's insane. So, so, People, th this show is about helping people get unstuck. And, and I think that we've all been there. You know, I, I've been there where we couldn't afford to go to the grocery store, you know, or, hey, the car payment's going to be really late or whatever, right? So we've all been in that place where we get stuck and fear kicks in and takes over. And what is it that you think in your opinion, what is it that keeps people stuck, especially for extended periods of time? Yeah, well, I, I'm going to go back to, you know, our earlier discussion about the change process model. Uh, and it, some of it has to do, you know, the, it's some of it's reality. Obviously, you know, if you're in a situation where, you know, you may have been furloughed or maybe you don't have a job right now, that's that's very challenging. But some of it also has to do with how we perceive the world, right? And so it's really a combination of our beliefs and our environment. And, and so one of the things that, and I, you know, I, I've been there again when I was younger and I had quit my job and I was starving, you know, I've been through that and you make yeah. tough choices. You know, I remember I would figure out how I could save X amount of money because I needed to, you know, so I didn't I cut back on things and, you know, you'd take, you'd make sacrifices. But right. a lot of it, I think, if you want to truly, really kind of manage through these difficult times, it's making sure you stay connected to your core values and, and don't go through this alone, right? There are a lot of people out there that can be a good resource for you. So the biggest challenge, I think, for people who are struggling right now is don't isolate yourself. Mm. Find ways to reach out and get around other people who can be with you and help you. And people want to help you. Uh, so so don't, don't kind of uh, re retreat, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, reach out and look for maybe a network of folks that you can interact with. And for me, as I said before, you know, that's my speakers association. You know, I, I could pick up the phone right now and call anybody if I needed help and they'd be there for me and I would do the same for them. Right. So uh, who's your, who's your, like, who's your connection or your extended family? I'd say, and reach out and let people know you need some help right now. I, I love that answer. It, it's so important. And I think, you know, people, it's, it's, it's crazy to me. I, I ended up down one of those YouTube rabbit holes the other day and this video pops up a recommended video or something. And I, it, it piqued my interest. And it was this guy that has, he's like, first thing you do is download the Walmart app. And I'm like, I don't go to Walmart, <laughs> and, but he's like, download the Walmart app 
and you can go into Walmart and they have these these things called um, secret clearance items. And he goes in, he found all these video games that were originally like 50 bucks. He found them for three cents a piece on the Walmart secret clearance. So he bought all of them, lists them on eBay and made like $4,000 in a couple of days. And I was like, and people think that they can't make money in, in this country. That's insane. Like there's always a way, but it does take getting into that creative place. Yes. And, and it, you know, there's no magic bullet, right? No. I mean, it's, it's, and I, as I said before, I don't want to dismiss about working hard, right? Cause Hard work is critical, and I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't work hard. I'm a very hard worker, but on the same token, I also want to be smart, yeah. and I want to make sure that I'm leveraging the technology and the relationships and, and the people that I can you know, make sure that I help others and they help me. Yeah. So, uh, but but uh, it's a very challenging time, and I know a lot of folks are struggling, and so just make sure you spend some time taking care of yourself. You know, I have a little morning ritual every day. I do a little morning reading, quiet time. Uh, and that's really important for me. I exercise, you know, and I, I just have all these little things that I know are important to take care of myself. And that's what I mean by don't retreat, not only you know, reach out and ask for help, but what can you do for you today that's going to take care of you? Because the better you feel, the better the, you know, the world gets. Brian Wagner asks a question. I'm sure you've covered some of it. What are some typical resources that you can reach out to? Yeah. So, Let's take a look. First, there are people resources. Whoa. So, right. If, if there, go ahead. If there are people in your, you know, in your network that you can find a way to have a coffee with or have a Zoom call, that's one resource. Uh, another resource is just what are some good books or videos that you can watch that are going to lift your spirits. You know, I love music, uh, and and I used to, I used to run a karaoke bar as another part time job. I forgot to tell you about when wow. I got back from Japan. But anyway, so so music. Um, so there's there's people resources, there is you know spiritual resources, there is uh, mental resources, all the kind of things that you can do to fill your mind and your body in a healthy way. Because if you're you know if you're not feeling good, if you're not you know being healthy, then you're gonna have a hard time managing. And the, one of the things I always tell my audience is the better you feel, the better you perform. Yep. So during challenging times, you know take care of yourself as much as you can because we tend to sometimes we tend to neglect ourselves. Totally agree with that. And what is, I should have asked you this early on, Patrick, and my bad for not, your website. It's very easy. It's www.patrickdonadio.com. So it can't get any easier than that. Donadio.com. I'm going to scroll that across the bottom. Is that, I have it correct, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, if people, if people put a backslash and put resources uh, I have a special resource page. It's not really obvious on the website, but if you backslash resources, I've got some articles there for you. And I got a little special bonus, Ken. I actually have a, a call it Taste of Italy page where I've got some of my mother's favorite Italian recipes and oh, wow. actually a little video of my mom cooking Sunday dinner. Before she passed away, I started doing some Facebook Live with her. She was really good sport. Uh, so I have a two-minute little video of her cooking in a typical Italian Sunday meal. So backslash resources, Feel free to go there, and, and I think that might even make you make your day a little bit as well. Let me add that on here. Just backslash resources. resources. There. Yeah, and uh, they can click on some articles. And, of course, again, that the Taste of Italy page. It's just a fun page. I, 
I always talk about my Italian culture and people would always ask me, you know, can I get your mother's recipe? Can I come to your house for dinner? You know, so eventually I just decided I'm going to put it up on the website and people say, can I get your mother's recipe? I say, yeah, go to the website. It's over there. Get her manicotti recipe, whatever you want. I put up there. That's awesome, man. That's totally awesome. Well, uh, Patrick, I can't believe we, uh, we're are, we've been on an hour. That's that's wow. crazy. That went by. Did that go by fast for you? Yeah, it did go by fast. Jeez, that was insane. I feel like we're just getting started. <laughs> that was great. Well, listen, I, is that also a place where people uh, can connect with you on social media? Yes, you you can get. I'm on LinkedIn. You can go to LinkedIn. You can go to my website. You can email me if you have questions. Uh, and definitely, um, you know, Ken, I want to leave with, we're going to wrap up soon, but I love to yeah. share my favorite quote, if that's okay, before yeah, we wrap up. You let yeah. me know whenever you want to do that. I don't want to push you off. Go the for here. it. Oh, go yeah. for it. Uh, but one thing I, I, I really think is so important, and I think we shared a lot of good ideas today. You know, Ken, you're doing a great job with your show because you're really taking people's real life stories and showing people, you know, that, hey, there's no easy, there's no easy way, you know, to get through breakthroughs. Everybody's got challenges and and struggles. Yeah. So I hope today people picked up a couple ideas. I know we shared a lot of things, but yeah. my favorite quote is nothing changes until you change. Mm. So if there's one thing you heard today that you like, that you think can make an impact in your life, uh, do something with it today. You know, this, by the way, is not the end. This is the beginning. Because I think if people go follow you on social media, they're going to get more and more and more from you. There's no way that, you know, I'm assuming you're at least my age. I'll be 52 here in a couple of weeks. Um, so there's no way that you can summarize all of your wisdom that you've gained in your life in one hour. <laughs> you just can't, can't get it all out. Yeah. So, so um, you've definitely highlighted some great things. And I think that if everybody can on your website, do you have your social media links as well? Yeah. And, and okay. LinkedIn is probably where I do more posting of, of tips and, and ideas okay. about leadership and communication skills. Awesome. You know, Facebook is kind of personal stuff. I put some things there, but if you're into the business side, you know, feel free to go to LinkedIn and uh, link with me and I put stuff up with some tips and things there. Awesome. All right. Well, Patrick, thank you very, very much. I appreciate you coming on, sharing your wisdom and your story and make sure everybody go over to the website, follow Patrick, send him a LinkedIn friend request. Patrick, if you would stay with me and we'll be right back. I appreciate you very much taking the time to come on. Thank you. You're welcome, Ken. Great to be with you today. Thank you. Thank you guys. And thank you to anybody who shared this out too. I appreciate that.